realize is the story of the Good Samaritan doesn't work anymore. Because we all have things like the Good Sam Club, right? And when I say he's a Good Samaritan, everybody knows, oh, he's a good guy. But doesn't, that didn't work in the time when Jesus shared it. When we look at this story, I think we need to understand who we are in the mix. And, and the reality is who we are is the man who's beaten and bloody laying in the road left for dead. That's the reality. Because nobody gets through this world without that. We're going to talk in a moment about having faithful love for God. That we have a, a, a faithful uh, concern for Him. I think this is still on, Howard. Might not be. It's off now. We have a faithful love for Him, but here's the reality. Sometimes we struggle because you and I, we get ourselves so much in the middle of, of the story that we're the, the center part of the story in, instead of Christ. We put ourselves in the, in the middle part of the story, and then we say, well, why does, how can the Bible say God loves me when life is so hard? How can the Bible say God loves me when I lost my job, or my mom has cancer, or my friend just died. How can the Bible say God loves me when that's what's going on? And what the Bible tells you is that you are beat up by the world and left for dead in the road. And somebody nobody wants comes by and helps you. Somebody nobody wants to have anything to do with. Far better to see the good Samaritan as Jesus than as one of us. Especially nowadays. Since it's not very popular to be Jesus Christ. We have to realize that through the fall of man, the corruption of man, the disinheritance of the nations, all of these things has led man to the place where he is. In a world that through disobedience... And rebellion against God is filled and wrought with pain and suffering. And the only promise that God gives you is this. One day you're going to look in His face and He's going to make it all new. Now, if you're willing to trade right now, happiness right now, for, for eternal uh in eternal nature with Christ, then you don't understand Jesus at all. And you're the middle of the story. And the world revolves around you. But if you can say, you know what, just like when we used to tell our kids, I don't know, maybe you guys didn't do this, but I would tell my, my boys when they started playing sports that you had to go and you had to suffer and you had to train and you had to practice and you had to do all those things. And if you did them truly with all your heart, when you got to the end, it was worth it. Nobody ever got up, showed up at practice and said, Woo, this is the most fun I ever had in my life. Coach, can I run some more gassers today? A few more laps, coach, a few more. No, nobody likes that. Everywhere in our life we see examples of having to endure difficulty for the promised treasure. Why do we have a hard time seeing that that's the way it is with Christ? We endure suffering now for the promised treasure. 
for the promise of something so much greater. This world beats us up and it leaves us for dead in Jesus Christ. He scoops us up out of our brokenness. And he pays everything that needs paid and he takes care of us. Yeah? He's the one who works it all out. We look here. Here's what we see in the beginning. In the beginning, a lawyer stands up, right? And all eyes turn to him and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I have this eternal relationship with God? How's that work? What do, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to be? Now, it's important. He called him teacher, not Lord. He's not submitted to him. And in fact, the scripture tells us he was asking this question to do what? To test him, right? To test him. Okay, let's see what kind of answer he's got. So, he says literally, having done all, what must I, what, what must I do? What is it, having done, that I will have eternal life? So Jesus, as often is the case, he, he is Socratic. Socratic meaning he uses questions to bring us to the answer, right? So he brings this question. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, what's the Bible say? A lot of people get confused, I think, when they talk about the Old Testament and how people were saved. We have a lot of weird ideas. Let me tell you the, the, the bottom line. The way people were saved then is the way people are saved now. Loyal love for God. Loyal love. Same, same. To love God. In Deuteronomy 6.4 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall, what's the word? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He says, not only that, these words that I command you will be in your heart, a part of your life. You will teach them to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Does that, does that sound like your love for God or your relationship with God is a Sunday thing? He says, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk, when you work, wherever you go, every place you go, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, all day, every day, you're going to talk about these things. You're going to talk about this, this relationship, this love of God that you have experienced and that you are uh, experiencing yourself. You'll talk about them. He says, you'll bind them as a sign on your hand. Whatever I do, it's going to be about the Lord. I'll bind them on my hands. There'll be frontlets on my eyes, headlights. Wherever I go, so I can see the way. Psalm 119, right? Thy word shall be a light unto my path. So it's going to show me where to go. You will write them on the doorposts of your house. Your whole house is going to be about it. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. It's all about what does a relationship with God look like? It's not part-time gig. There's no such thing as a part-time gig. In or out. And if you get in, it's just like baptism. You get in, you're not a little wet. Your feet aren't wet. The whole body's wet. Right? You're in. You're in. And so this is the design in Deuteronomy 6. is what's written. Now, in Hosea 6, 4 through 6, I want you guys to hear this. You guys all know the story of Hosea, right? Hosea, go 
marry a prostitute, he, he was probably not the happiest prophet that God ever had. But his whole life becomes an example of how God loves us. Hosea, I want you to love a prostitute who will be unfaithful to you. And then I want your life to be an example about how I love Israel and how Israel treats me. Here's what he said in Hosea 6. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I slain them by the words of my mouth. My judgment goes forth as a light. Why? Because I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. What does God want? Faithful love. What do you want in a relationship? It don't matter, marriage, a friend, what do you want? You want a faithful friend or an unfaithful friend? Do we all go out, we put ads in the paper, I'm looking for an unfaithful friend. So if you're an unfaithful friend, come find me because that's what I long for, unfaithful friends. No, we don't want that in our life, do we? We don't want that in our spouse, do we? We don't want that in our earthly relationships. Listen, this might be earth uh, boggling, mind boggling to you. Listen, God wants that kind of relationship with you. Faithful. He wants that kind of relationship. He said to Judah and Ephraim, I desire steadfast chesed, steadfast faithful love. The, the flip side in the Greek would be Agapeo. You guys have all heard about that before, right? I desire steadfast, faithful love, not sacrifice. I'm not looking for your sacrifice. Sacrifice is what we do when we do what? We mess up, right? Sacrifice is what we do when we mess up. What's God saying? I'm not, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your love. And then the next phrase. Look at the next phrase. Don't miss it. And the knowledge of God. Rather than burnt offerings. He's saying, I, I would rather you know me than you give me stuff. A burnt offering was an offering of consecration. It was like saying to God, I'm giving you whatever I have. And so you would bring your offering, whatever it would be, and you would burn it all up in totality to God. Saying, hey, I'm totally dedicated to you. And God's saying, look, rather than doing that, I would rather you knew me. Are, are we different? When we think of a relationship with a, a wife or a husband or a friend, do we want somebody who doesn't, can't be bothered to know us or do you want somebody who knows you? Do you want somebody that can look inside, crawl inside, understand who you are, the, the idiosyncrasies of life? I mean, I think really in humankind, this is a desire we all have. In fact, they made a TV show all about it. It was called Cheers. You guys ever see it? And cheers, what was the whole point of cheers? The whole point of cheers was, we all want a place where what? Crazy. Why does that resonate with people? Because God made us in the image of God. So if God desires faithful, steadfast love, and if God desires that you would know Him, what do you think is inside of us? Man, I want steadfast love. Man, I want someone to know me. It's all 
fingerprints of God in our life. He says to this lawyer, what does the word of God say? Love the Lord your God. Steadfast, faithful love to know him. And then in Leviticus 19.18, you might have thought this was a New Testament idea. It's not. In Leviticus 19.18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the son of your own people. You shall love, what's the word? Your neighbor, how? As yourself. So this is the response he gives. Look at verse 27. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the answer that the lawyer gives. So think about what he's saying. Have faithful love for God and have love for God's people. Faithful love for God, love God's people. You know, we see this concept given to us in Genesis. When Eve is brought to Adam, Adam says, now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What is he saying? We all miss it. What is he saying? He's saying, she and me, were one. So to love her is to love myself. You catching it? She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We're one. To love her is to love me. In Acts 17, verse 26, it says, And he made from one man every nation. Am I my brother's keeper? Who is my brother? We're all brothers. He made from one man, from one blood, from one bone, from one flesh. So when I love another, I am loving myself. If we all have, just just take the trek with me. If we all existed in a, in a world in which we loved one another... How is that not loving myself? Doesn't my world get dramatically better? Not, I'm not saying it's all twisted now. I get that. But if we were in a place where we all loved one another, wouldn't I have everything I need? What about you? Well, you'd have everything you need too. What does that sound like? Yeah, it does, don't it? Sounds like being... In the presence of God. No. For God is love. And everyone who loves. Knows God. For God is. Love. So we have this idea. He says hey. I get it. Love God. Love people. We're supposed to love God. Love people. This is what God is looking for from us. But he's, he's just making. He's just giving the answer. Like the answer to a quiz. He's not saying, yes, I love God. Yes, I love my neighbor. Is that what he's saying? He just gave an answer. Do you guys know that you can just know the answer and not know Christ? Do you know you can just know the answer and have no relationship with Him? Do you know you can know the answer and not have the Holy Spirit working in your life? The Bible says in Romans 5, 1 through 5, that what God does is pour out the Holy Spirit into our life and He brews within me. He causes me to be able to love the same love that God has. For the love of God has been poured out in your hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 
5. That's what it declares. But he's not, he's just giving an answer. He's not saying, I have this relationship with God. I want to love God. He's not asking any of those questions like we would ask. He's just giving the answer. He knows the answer. Sometimes the hardest distance to travel is from your head to your heart. It's one thing to know what to do. It's a whole other thing to do it, isn't it? Man, how many of us try to change things in our own life? We know we should change, but the power to change, I just don't find. Isn't that what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 7? I struggle to change. I struggle to be the man that I they ought to be. I don't know how to do it. Look what Jesus says to this guy. In verse 28, he said to him, You answer correctly. Do this and live. So Jesus doesn't say, oh, you got it wrong. What does he say? That's right. That's the sum of it all. Love God. Love people. Just do it. But the lawyer, he has another response, doesn't he? Look what it says in verse 29. But desiring to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? This is why he said it, guys, in the Apocrypha. Here's, uh, you guys know what the Apocrypha is? The Apocrypha is, is extraneous writing outside of the Bible around the Second Temple period, roughly around the time of Christ. The value of Apocryphal writing is to understand how they think. Okay, you with me? It's like, it's like being able to read a book from the time of Christ and then say, oh, look what's in this book. I can kind of begin to understand how they thought. It's not the Bible. It's just writing from that period. Okay? Everybody with me? So in a book called Sirach, chapter 12, listen to how they thought. If you do good, you better know whom to whom you do it. You will be thanked for your good deeds. Do good to the devout, and you will be repaid. If not by them, certainly by the Most High. No good comes to one who persists in evil, or to one who does not give alms. Give to the devout, but not to the sinner. What that means is their attitude in their time was, hey, my neighbor, the person I'm supposed to love, is the person who's devout. Not a bad person, not somebody who practices evil. Uh, I I should love the person who's kind and generous, who gives alms. Basically, I should love the people who are easy to love. That's my neighbor. This is the way, this is what's in the lawyer's mind. I think when he asked Jesus the question, who's my neighbor? Tell me, do we got this right? Are we thinking this correctly? Is this attitude that we have developed? My question to you is, is this in line with Jesus' teaching? Because it's not that long ago, we are just a couple of chapters ago where Jesus said, I say, love your enemy. That was kind of mind-boggling, right? The Word of God speaking forth God's Word. Do we think He got it wrong? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. God the Word, Jesus Christ, declaring that the Word is calling us to love our enemies. Does He get it wrong? Is He missing it? Because their mind said we only love the devout, the good, the people that are, they got it together. Not the people that don't have it together. So Jesus tells them a story. 
parable. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Don't miss the change. Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. What's the circumstances? What's the circumstances of the story? We want to be able to track with the story. Jesus said a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Roughly it's an 18 mile journey. A drop in elevation of 3,300 feet. He doesn't tell us anything about this guy. Is he a good guy? Bad guy? Doesn't tell us. All it tells us is he's beat up, right? He's broken. He's left for dead. He can't help himself, right? He's not going to crawl away and, and figure out how to do it himself. He needs help. This guy is beaten and broken and left. What is it that he's telling us in the story? Simply, he's a human being. He doesn't say he's a Jew. He doesn't say he's devout. He doesn't say he always gave his alms. He just says he's a broken man in the gutter. He's a human being. That's the point of the story. He is what? In need. Jesus doesn't call him the neighbor. Jesus flips the story. The man asked the question, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus flips the story and says, let me ask you, who will you be a neighbor to? Who will you be a neighbor to? He asked him, who? Which one of these guys was a neighbor? <coughs> which one of these guys was a neighbor? Listen, when we go to Leviticus chapter uh, 19, verse 18, the concept the concept there is this attitude that we're going to express love for our neighbor, for those who are a part of the, com the community of faith. Those who are in the community of faith. Leviticus 19.18. Jesus is asking, he's flipping it on its ear and saying, which one of these guys was in the community of faith? Which one of these guys act like a believer? That's the question he's asking. So when we come to this story and we look at it and we recognize, we can recognize right when we back up, hey, I'm the broken man in the gutter and it's Jesus who, who saves me. I can see that. Okay, but the point of the story is not to tell us that. The point of the story is to say, there's a broken guy. Which one of you is going to be a neighbor to that guy? Which one of you is going to be part of the faith community? Which one of you is going to be far, part of the family of God and going to reach out and make a, a difference in this person's life? That's what he's asking. 
The guy, the, the lawyer, is thinking, I'm already in the faith community. I'm born a Jew. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you have not made any kind of a personal proclamation of faith in God, or love for God, or love for your neighbor. You just think you're born in. You know all the answers. Do you know this answer? Do you know what's going on? Look at the choices of the religious. So by chance, a priest comes <coughs> down the road. And when he saw, he passed by on the other side. First guy, highest level of religious person, the priest. He sees the guy off the side of the road, just laying there, bloody and beaten. He doesn't want to get involved. He goes all the way to the other side of the road and goes by. The choice of religion. Well, all the time we say, well, why would he do it? Why would he go around? Maybe he doesn't want to become unclean. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe he don't want to get unclean. Maybe he don't want to get any blood on his hands. Maybe he don't want to have the hassle. Maybe he don't want to have anything that's going to cost him money. And all of those things are not reasons to not be a neighbor to somebody else. He comes by and he sees it and he says, let me tell you the truth. Ministry is messy. You know that? You know if you're back there and one of them Sunday school kids, by golly, one of them kids is not going to act right. Can you believe that? My goodness, how could such a thing occur? Yeah, probably a bunch of them ain't going to act right. Last time I checked, we all have a sin problem, don't we? I never had to teach my kids to sin. I had to teach them to what? Do good. Yeah, sinning was easy. That come natural. <clears throat> Just leave them alone and watch what happens. The reality is, if you start doing things for the Lord, it gets messy. You get stuff on your hands. You get a little blood on you. It's a, it's a little ugly. Maybe nobody appreciates you. Last time I checked, the guy who's unconscious is not laying there saying, thank you, thank you, while the guy's taking care of him. There's no response. The Bible doesn't say anything happens. The Bible's wrapping him up. He's just laying there unconscious. All it's going to do is cost him time and money. It's going to cost him time and money. And that's the reason why the American church struggles. Sometimes, really, our God is money. Sometimes our God is time. But Jesus Christ would say, are you willing to be a neighbor to that guy? Are you willing to be a neighbor to that person on the corner? Are you willing to be a neighbor to the person across the street from you? Are you willing to take time to get your hands dirty? It's going to cost you something. And you're not going to get nothing back. Will you do it? Remember what, how we began? That our desires are a reflection of God in our life. The image of God in us is reflected because I want faithful love. Because I want to be known. Don't you think that the desire of God to be compassionate toward people is also part of the image of God that should reflect in us? Four Gospels, you're welcome to peruse all four Gospels and find a time when Jesus said to somebody, you know, I don't have time for you right now. We want to be able to reflect Christ in our life. The priest, he didn't want to, so he went by the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, in the same manner, a Levite comes. Now, Levite to lower echelon, right? He's not the priest, but he's of the priest, priestly family. Still exalted above the average guy, but not as high as the priest. He does a little bit more. Look what it says. He came to the place and looked at him. So he walks over and looks at the beaten body. He might even have kicked it. I don't know if this guy's alive or dead. Right? They left him for dead. Yes? You guys ever seen somebody left for dead before? What that phrase means, left for dead, means they beat him until they thought he was dead, and then they left. Get out your mind, all that, the, the guy laying there saying, help me. No, he's not saying nothing. His chest might be moving, but you might think, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. What if I try to help him and he just dies anyway? <coughs> uh, so the Levite goes and looks at him, takes a good long look. <coughs> passes by the other side. According to this parable, parabolos means to cast alongside, cast the truth alongside the scripture and see what's wrong. The priest and the Levite failed to obey Leviticus 19. Because when you love your neighbor, you are what? Loving yourself. So when we don't love our neighbor, what are we doing? When we hate our neighbor, what are we doing? We're hating ourselves. You guys paying attention to the news? Turn on the news and watch the world hate itself. Watch people cast derision across the street on their brother. Because they think different than they do. Or they act different than they do. Now... I believe that if once we take the Word of God and we throw the Word of God out, we have no foundation on which to stand. So you, you have no way of saying one way is right or the other way is right. If we hold up the Word of God and we say this is what we conform to, now we can come together. Can we come together? We can. We can, but man doesn't want to do that. So man comes to the street and shouts derision on his brother. And we fail Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he comes on and he says in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed... Let me, let me put this in better vernacular for us today. But a guy from Isis, as he journeyed... He came to where he was, he saw him, and he had compassion. Jackie, how can you say a guy from ISIS? They cut Christians' heads off, yeah? That's a whole lot closer to the story than the way you think a Samaritan. Samaritan is a half-breed, broken, theological, hated person. The Jews thought of a Samaritan. You know what? Don't even t try to save him. They would not accept a Samaritan as a proselyte. If a Samaritan came to the temple and said, I want to renounce my past and I want to worship the one true God, they would have told him, no! Kind of like some of us think ISIS. Yeah, I know they don't think right. I know they got wrong ideas in their head. But that fits better in the story, don't it? That's more shocking to us, isn't it? What do you mean a guy from ISIS helped him? A guy from ISIS just cut off people's heads. Well, not in this story he didn't. 
In this story, he stopped. He helped him. He had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. <clears throat> he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn. Cost him something. And he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, two days wages. You say, how long would that last? Well, in 140 AD, two denarii would have covered your stay in an average uh, hotel in the Middle East for 36 days. So you want to understand what that means today? You do the math. You know what a hotel costs today, right? And he said, take care of him. And when I come back, whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when you come back. Now, you guys realize that this guy just opened himself up to be ripped off, right? No? You, do you think that the hotel guy's honest just because Jesus is telling the story? So the hotel guy would be honest, right? Oh, you give me two denarii. And then, you know, he takes care of the guy. Eventually the guy leaves. Pretty soon this uh, good Samaritan comes back. And of course he said to him, you know what? He only stayed here 14 days. Here's your change. Or do you think he might have said, yeah, it took 14 days longer. Well, you tell me which one fits with human nature better. The guy opened himself up to be ripped off, right? But it wasn't about being ripped off or not. What, did he, what was he being? He was choosing to be what? A neighbor. He's being a neighbor. Wow. So in verse 36, he says, So which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which one do you think was being a neighbor? Jesus flipping the question. And that lawyer has to say, right? The one who showed him mercy. Now back it up. Jesus said, which one acted like he was in the community of faith? And he couldn't even bring himself to say the guy from ISIS. What did he say? The guy who showed mercy. Now the point of the story isn't, well then all Samaritans must be good. No. The point of the story is to shock us. To shock us. To wake us up. To say, do you understand what God's word is asking of us? That we would have a faithful love of God. That we would have a faithful love for our neighbor. And who is my neighbor? According to Jesus' story, everybody is. <clears throat> you don't get to say, you know, that guy's not my neighbor. That guy's not my neighbor. He lives two blocks over. I don't have to do anything for him. He has to live within a block. If he lives within a block, maybe he's a neighbor. But otherwise, no, we don't get that. We don't get that. And Jesus flips a question and he's asking, he's asking the lawyer. He's asking us through him. Who will you be a neighbor to? was not that long ago, guys, we had uh, Sammy Tanaga come for the first time, probably, I don't know, even four years ago. It doesn't make any difference. But when Sammy Tanago come, I realized I had prejudice. 
and I had to deal with my prejudice. But I spent some time in the Marine Corps, and so it's hard for me to switch bad guys from being bad guys. Bad guys are bad guys. They wear black hats, uh, so they're all bad guys, right? And so they stay that way in my brain, and I couldn't see them as someone upon whom I needed to move with compassion. My question is, do you? Don't worry, don't, don't right now, wherever you are, flooding your head with exceptions, just stop. Stop worrying about the exceptions and start worrying about what Jesus said as a general rule. Let's, let's start there. We'll worry about the exceptions when they come. Because God is able. No? Is God able? The Bible says God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Is that true or not? So if that's true, I don't, I, I, let's let that worry about itself for a minute. Let's just ask ourselves, am I willing to be a neighbor? Am I willing to, to see something that's going to cost me time or place or opportunity? Because in this story, guys, the people who, who were the most religious on the outside had the least amount of compassion. Does that not scare you? The people who were the most religious on the outside had the least amount of compassion. Go back to the beginning. God wants what from us? Faithful love, right? Faithful love to God, faithful love love to our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is loving ourselves, taking care of community. That's how we do that. We love God. We love people. But the religious people were the least like that in the story. The priest was the least like that. The Levite was the least like that. The guy who was the most like that was the craziest part of the story of all. So the point that Jesus is laying out for us, the point that He wants us to understand is that this faithful love begins it begins at the source. Where do I find the ability to be that? <clears throat> it doesn't come naturally out of me. I'm just a beat up guy on the street. How does that love come out of me? It comes out of me. It flows through me according to the Word of God when I have a relationship with Almighty God. When I have faithful love for God because He first loved me. Isn't that what the Bible says? We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. Yeah. God loves me. And so I recognize, and then God says, man, you love me and I'll give you more love. You love me and I'll give you more love. Lord, I don't know how to love my wife. God says, love me and I'll give you more love. God, I don't know how to love my neighbor. Love me and I'll give you more love. God, I don't know how to love my son or my daughter. Love me and I'll give you more love. You understand that's what the Word of God says. Romans 5 says that the Holy Spirit will be poured into your life and God will give you the love you need for the horizontal if you'll give Him the love vertically. Love God. And He gives you what you need to do everything else. Love God faithfully. You and me, God, till the wheels fall off. I ran down the road long ways. In rebellion against God. And I can tell you a life of love toward God is infinitely better. 
oh, I still get sick, things still break. Every silly joint on my body is rebelling against me. It all wants to go somewhere else, do something else. I can sit back in a lazy boy and remember when I could run. Somehow when I actually go out and try to run, it's like, wow, that's a lot different than what it looked like. (laughs) Hey, hard things happen to everybody. Anybody in here not ever been hurt? Anybody in here not ever been touched by death? Anybody in here not ever been disappointed with their circumstances? Anybody in here that has got through this world without being the beat guy in the gutter who needed somebody like Christ to come along and say, look, I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to take care of you. And when you get to me, I'm going to make it all new. All I want you to do is love me. Just love me. And I'll give you everything you need to love everybody else. So I I put God to the test. Because I didn't love Muslims. Uh, But I do now. And now I look at people. Back then I'd look at them and all I'd see is all my fear. And what I think is their you know, trying to do or trying to accomplish. Look, God has has given that job to the magistrates. I give it to them. He's given me a job. Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation. To the 72, when he sent the 72 out, didn't he say, he's going to say in chapter 22, hey, when I sent you out, did any of you have a need? And you know what they're going to say? No. Cool. I'm still sending. He still wants me to go, but I have to let go of all that garbage, otherwise I can't do it. I, I, if I go outside and I, and I have this, this <coughs> prejudice in my mind for people struggling with drugs, then when I see somebody struggling with drugs, I won't have compassion. Because I've somehow elevated myself above him. I couldn't be that broken guy in the street. Or when I go out and I see somebody of a different color or a different ethnicity or of a different faith. And I want to be able to share the truth of the gospel with them. But if I can't have compassion, if I look at them through my prejudice, my prejudice has got to die. I got to crucify my flesh. I got to love God. And he'll give me the ability to love my neighbor. Even if he's hard to love. And you know what? I've seen God do it. I am telling you, God will do it. He will absolutely give you what you need to love your neighbor. He will absolutely give you what you need to be able to love those that are hard to love. So that we step out from that place being like that, being like that lawyer looking for the loophole. So what if he does this? Then can I shoot him? Well, okay. (laughs) Stop worrying about the exception. Maybe just worry about telling him the truth.
Listen to four, four scriptures I want to share with you guys. I just want you to let them resonate. There was this guy. He was one of the Boagernes. Is that how you say it? Boagernes. Sons of Thunder. That's a lot easier to say. He was one of the Sons of Thunder. He, Jason talked about him two weeks ago, right? He, he said that they came and they're in this town and the town didn't like them. Right? So what did these two guys say? God, call down fire from heaven. Let's roast these turkeys. Let's burn them. Burn them. Burn their dogs. Burn their kids. Burn their wives. How come you don't hear that when it says that? When he says, call down fire from heaven, what do you think that means? He, they're saying, burn them all. There's nothing good about them. Burn them all. And God says, man, you guys, you don't know what spirit you are. That's not God's spirit. Well, Jackie, sometimes God does that. Yeah. Yeah, do you know how many times God says he doesn't want to do that? How many times have you looked at your kids and said, I don't want to spank you. Stop. How many times have you looked at and said, I don't. Guys, you're. How many times? I never one time grab a hold of a belt, bent my kid over to swat his butt and thought, oh, this is the most fun I've had at any given day. <laughs> if that is what you think, you need help. God says in the book of Ezekiel, four times, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. I have no glory in the destruction. It doesn't mean God won't do it. He will do it. There will be people who go to hell. But God's not sitting there going, I can't wait to throw them in. I can't wait to put them. I can't wait till they go to hell. God's going to weep. After the great white throne judgment, after that moment when this line of people, one after another after another, being cast into the lake of fire, the word of God says, and then God will wipe away every tear. What does that mean? You know that's taking place in heaven, or at least our view of heaven, right? <coughs> Why would God need to wipe away your tears? You don't think you're going to be sorrowful watching people perish for eternity? God says, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. How are they going to turn if you don't tell them? How's it going to change if we won't cross the street? He was moved by compassion. That means he loved God and them more than he loved his own comfort. And in so doing, he was loving himself. The world lies to us, man. It says, take care of yourself and you'll be happy. No, you won't. If all your bills are paid, you won't be happy. All my bills are paid. All my stuff is handled. And I still can lay awake at night wondering where my kids are. What's going to happen to my grandkids? What's tomorrow going to be like? I have no guarantee that there's not tragedy around the corner, do I? 
man, having all that stuff isn't what it's about. Having that relationship with God where you love Him and God gives you more so you can love Him more. God gives you more so you can love people. That's where most satisfied I've ever been in my life is helping someone who's hurting. Most satisfied I've ever been is when I've been spent my hours, my time, my, all my stuff just so that I could reach out and help somebody. My greatest stories I like to tell are all about those things. It's never do I sit around and tell the story about how I paid my bill today. Yeah, got it paid. Nope. I talk about the struggle overcoming, seeing God move, seeing God work. Here's what the Word of God has to say to us. First John, the son of thunder, the one who said, fire, come down and burn them all. Listen to what he said after the Holy Spirit poured love in his heart. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. First John 3.14, same author. And we know that we have passed out of death into life. <coughs> because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And if anyone has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. First John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever would love God, must love his brother also. Love God, love people. Be careful. The first question the lawyer asked was, who's my neighbor? Is the first question you thought of, who's my brother? Ephraim and Judah were brothers. Ephraim became known as Samaria. And Judah became known as Israel. 
They hated each other. Who was his brother? I pray that the love of God compels you and constrains you. Be who God's asking you to be. God's commandments are his enablements. And he gives us what we need. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, as we just come to you this morning, Lord God, I just pray, God, I know that, uh, Father, the word, sometimes the word lays heavy on me, and uh, maybe I lay it on heavy, I don't know. But I pray, God, that you would work in and through us. Lord, the things that are of you, God, I pray that they permeate, they get deeper than our skin. They reach all the way to the heart. God, teach us to love one another. Let us hear the words of the Son of Thunder say, Love each other. Love each other. God, I pray that, Lord, you even declare the way that they will know you are believers is how you love each other. I was so touched by the, the movie, the Apostle Paul, because one of the things they brought out in that movie was Learning to love in the face of persecution. Learning to love when it's hard. Being empowered, God, by you to do it. God, I just pray that you challenge us, God. Challenge us not to, not to take an easy way out. Not to say, well, this will excuse me. May I be excused from the table, Dad? I I don't like this meal. I pray, God, that we would run to your word and that your word will either confirm or deny, God, and that we would use your word as a final authority. Lord, what are you asking of us? And instead of starting nowhere because we excuse ourselves from the table, God, I pray we start somewhere. Maybe just say, God, who do you want me to love in this room today? Who do you want me to show love to? Who do you want me to walk up and pray with or hug or tell them I'm glad I saw them? God, who do you want me to say, "I, I know your name, you belong here, you're part of our family? That's our job. Maybe if we can learn to do it in here, we could learn to do it out there. So God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. That you would pour out your love in our hearts because that's what we want. I want to be like you. I don't want to be like me. I know me. I want to be like you. I want people to say when I walk by, oh, that guy sounds like Jesus. The greatest thing they could ever say about Peter and John. They looked at him and they said, man, these are uneducated men. So they couldn't have thought they were too bright. But they said, they've been with Jesus. I can see Jesus on them. 
God, I pray that people will see Jesus in us. According to your word, according to your ways, your attitude flowing through us. I pray, God, that we recognize that in the parable of the sower, in the sending out of the twelve, in the sending out of the seventy-two, this question does not accidentally come right now. Who's my neighbor? So God, if the wind goes where you tell it, so will I. I pray that we would find obedience to you to be the greatest call in our life. And that your love by your spirit would flow through us to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.